Better sleep, better you. We all know sleep is important, and having a great mattress is paramount in achieving a deep sleep. This is where the Goo Goo Mattress Company comes in. Super comfortable, very affordable, and delivered to your home for free. Go to gugu.jp, read the many testimonials, and enter BB Japan in the promo box and receive a 20% discount. Learn more at gugu.jp and get ready for sweet dreams. Gugu, better sleep, better you. Hello, friends. This episode, I sit down with Alex Bradshaw. Originally from Sheffield, England, Alex is the number one promoter and ambassador for all things Kagoshima. Alex is an incredibly interesting guy. He runs his own company. He advises the Kagoshima government on many things, such as beautification and signage, but his main work is with the Shimazu Group, where he is the head of overseas business. His job there is mainly the promotion of Sengan-en, an amazing 12-acre World Heritage Site full of Japanese gardens and the world's number one ranked tea house. This all in the panoramic setting of the active volcano Sakurajima. We also discuss how to improve inbound tourism, why added value and mystery is historically a Japanese cultural strong point, and then we hear his story about winning the World Travel and Tourism Award in 2019. His knowledge of Japanese culture and history is second to none. Not only about Kagoshima, but all of Japan. Get ready to learn a few new things to impress your friends and family. I know I was certainly impressed with Mr. Alex Bradshaw. But shut up means don't talk. Yeah, it, don't talk until it's your turn to talk. You've got to take turns, but you have to use it to your advantage. So I can't expect all these Japanese people to change their way of doing business just because I've turned up. What I learned then is that being silent and then speaking at the right time has a lot more weight than just going in and giving your opinion, which was a great lesson to learn. So it was a strict education. That's good. But it actually benefited me an awful lot. Do you have an example of that? So, I mean, like, do you know, well, nemawashi is like a common word in Japanese business. It would be translated as consensus building. Yeah, consensus building, right? But you do have to do that in, you know, Japanese businesses to get things to happen. And the way of doing it is actually going around every department and just mentioning it to people and then slowly building up uh, a level of support. And then you put out your ringisho or your document to, you know, gain official permission to start doing something. And that gets stamped around, and then you've got your project. But if you just go in and go, I want to do this, who's with it? You know, nothing will happen. It's very important to learn, you know, those things if you want to work in a traditional business. Nice one. Alex, nice to meet you, man. Nice to meet you too. Cheers. Cheers. Yeah. Welcome. I'm looking forward to it. Oh, that's good. Been a long day today. <laughs> so you're from the UK? UK, yeah. Sheffield, Northern England. Industrial town, you know. But you studied kendo and sword fighting and calligraphy, zazen. You studied a lot of stuff. Yeah. What, how did that all get started? Mum uh, used to host kind of exchange students through Sheffield University at our house and things okay. like that. From so Japan they, or yeah, from, from all Japan, over? Yeah, from Japan, yeah. Mainly from Japan. Okay. And they brought all these kind of like gifts like kamifusen, you know, the inflatable paper balloons and yeah. just stuff like that. So I was always interested in the culture. And then uh, after I finished university, I think I, what, I watched like Kozure Okami. 
Do you know that movie? No, I don't. It's called like Lone Wolf and Cub in English or something like that. But it's like a samurai, you know, Chambara type movie. Okay. On late night TV. And I thought, oh, that's kind of cool. I'd like yep. to try that. So I found, by pure chance, there was a dojo in my hometown that actually did it. So I went In along. Sheffield, there was a dojo. It, I was in Leeds at this time. Okay. Sorry, yep. I moved to Leeds. And it was, um, yeah, doing Iaido. So yeah. I started doing Ei and then Kendo. And then after a couple of years, I thought I'd like to try this in Japan. You know, it must be, you know, much deeper level of study over there. Sure. So I applied for the JET program. Um, at the time, I was working in IT. So I'd been working for like an ISP for quite a few years. Like most JETs come after university, right? But I'd been working in like IT for about five or six years before coming on JET. Yeah. So my boss was like, this is career suicide. What the hell are you doing? You know? Yeah. yeah. But I really wanted to go and I was kind of bored with, you know, IT anyway. So I thought, well, why not? I'll just um, give it a shot. So I was placed in Kagoshima, went over there, got involved with a local martial art called Jigen Ryu. Every martial arts has a specific Ryu, right? Yeah, that's right, yeah. It means like flow. Basically, it would be style or school or something exactly. like that. So cool. um, I got involved with that, and that was really the main reason for me staying behind. So I was a Jap for quite a long time, and then I did uh, English teaching at the university and things like that afterwards. I ran my own English school for a while. That was like. A How was that? Um, it was a learning experience because I didn't really know anything about running my own business. At first I opened it, I thought people had just come. So nobody came, obviously. <laughs> so I was like, oh God, what, I've got to do something about this. So I started flyering and things like that and, you know, trying to get customers to come along. Phone calls started coming in and I didn't know how to speak Kegel. So I'd pick up the phone and be like, moshi moshi. <laughs> and they'd be like hanging up on me. Hey, what's up? <laughs> yeah. So it was like really, you know, a trial by fire yeah. type thing. So I had to learn how to speak Kegel on the phone. It was just happenstance that you ended up in Kagoshima. Yeah. Your whole career in Japan has been in, in yeah, Kagoshima. Yeah, it's just if luck. You, if, you yeah. had, if you had gone to Iwate or in Tokushima, yeah, yeah. it might have been... I might have been there. I might have gone home. I might yeah. have moved here. I don't know. You know, I have no idea. I, I just feel so invested in the region now. Yeah. I, I love coming to Tokyo and like going to other cities in Japan as well, but I've got such an investment in that region. I feel like I'm connected to it, you know, in a particularly special way. It, it's worked to my advantage, I suppose. You know, I've been very lucky yeah. with the opportunities I've been given. You've been with Shimazu for four years. That's right, yeah. yeah. Okay, and when you started, you were the overseas business manager, mm -hmm. and then you were promoted, or you then moved to the PR manager, yep. and now you are the head of overseas business. Right. Did all these positions exist before you joined, or through your success at each position, you kept gaining more responsibilities, ergo bigger and better titles? Okay, so they didn't exist before I was there. There were no full-time employees from a foreign background at all. Myself and Core, this lady from Taiwan, were hired at the same time. And I don't really think, to be honest, they knew what they were going to do with me. They were like, put him in there. Sounds familiar. Give him some resources and let's see what happens. Yeah. But the lucky thing for me is, is that I actually had not just a, a mentor, but like a, a supporter as well, right? A supporter is really important in business to have Absolutely. somebody in the boardroom who's going to get you back. And they're not just going to tell you what to do or give you advice on what to do. They're going to stand there and go, actually, this Alex guy, he's got some more right ideas, you know. Yeah. That kind of person, if they're there, other people will start to listen to you as well. This supporter that you have, yeah. is this the person that hired you? Not so much, no. It's, the, it's one of the senior management of the company, one of the board members. He, for some reason, saw it as part of his remit to take me under his wing and show me how to survive in a Japanese company. And also where he thinks my career should go. 
does he feel so strongly that Shimazu Group needs to internationalize and you are the conduit to that? Or does he have some other motive for wanting to really support you? Well, he's originally from a very large Japanese bank and he's also from Kobe, moved down to Kagoshima. So he's got a very international opinion you know, about the world. He's much more internationalized than many of the people down there. And I think he wants to change a lot of things in the company. And sometimes you need a bit of a wrecking ball type thing to do. <laughs> so well, my, my role can be that sometimes, to kind yeah. of disrupt departments that already exist and get them to do new things. I, I've been the first foreigner mm. to be hired in two Japanese companies. Really? Yeah. And did so, they know what to do with you when they hired you? No, they not? did not. Right. And how did you work it out, though? What was the... I carved out my own niche. Mm. And I, like you, yep. I had some supporters. Mm -hmm. In both companies, the presidents believed in internationalization, right. and they thought that having a foreigner there might create a spark to create mm. change in innovation or a new way of thinking yep. or something. They had that, but as the top of yeah. these companies, yeah, yeah. yeah, that's their vision. But the reality is that everybody below them, mm. they're like, oh, great, free English lessons. Right, okay. Basically. Really? Well, right. no, I mean, I'm exaggerating <laughs> yeah, yeah, a little yeah, bit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But they don't know really what to do. Yeah, like, I, I do understand what you mean. The kind of the management in the middle. Yeah. yeah. What's good about the company I work for now is that because it's owner-operated, it's very, very quick to make decisions. Obviously, the board are there as well, but because the CEO's got a very strong vision, it goes straight through, and we can make decisions really quickly. So now you are the head of overseas business. Yeah. This is your third title, your sure. third promotion. Mm -hmm. Is there something above and beyond this? Probably not, no, to be fair. I mean, like, if they want to make me a board member or something like that, that might be, you know, possible. But not at the moment. I mean, I've just started in this role, so we've got a while to go. For us, like, domestic market's huge, like 70% Japanese visitors, and then 30% overseas. So Hong Kong, Taiwan, these kind of markets are really big for us. But we want to bring people from Europe, uh, more America, Australia, so targeting the Western markets requires a different approach, and that's something that I'm really kind of heading up. And it's a lot of fun, you know, to introduce something that I really love and an area that I like. It's a challenge, but it's fun. I might have to get a drink first, though. I'm well, like, so right now is happy hour, yeah, yeah. and they're just tiny ones, okay. but, you know, well, with, with small yeah. ones, you just order more, right? Yeah, yeah. I've seen the, most of these ones are available in convenience stores now. That's true. Which is like a, a bonus, right, if you're in Kagoshima. You can't buy beer anywhere, really, craft beer. Yeah. Not to take home. So it's, it's really good to see these But isn't around. there a lot of craft beer in Kagoshima? The, um, the Shirama Hotel brew their own, and that's quite good. But there's not a huge volume of it, because like, Kagoshima is a shochu culture. Right. So it's, it's all like one Sapporo beer, yeah. and then shochu. Yeah. And the reason why it's Sapporo beer is because Sapporo beer was founded by a guy from Kagoshima who went to the UK to study... When he came back to Japan, he went up to Hokkaido and started Sapporo beer up there. So he's originally from Kagoshima. Oh. So all the Kagoshima people would drink one Sapporo beer and then shochu all night. No, And you too? No, well, if I have to, you know. I, you like shochu? I, I do, but I wouldn't drink it out of choice generally. You know, I prefer like Nihonshu or, you know, craft beers. If everybody else is drinking it, I'll drink it. But I wouldn't personally go out just for shochu. How, do you, are, how do you drink it? Or yuari, so, you know, hot water. Oh, you like hot water. Yeah, or roku, yeah, just on, on the rocks. I yeah. like it just on the rocks. Right. Kagoshima's a lot of oyuari, so all the older guys drink, like, gogo, so half shochu, half hot water. <laughs> and as they get more drunk, they kind of filter it down a little bit, so it's... Okay. So at the end, it's just like uh, dake, just a that little makes, bit, so they yeah. can... Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that makes sense. Yeah. What are you going to go for? 
Uh, I might have uh, Aoni. Indona Aoni. Yeah, me too. Yeah, I've had that one before. I like a bit of bitterness with it. So. Me too. Yeah. No, you're head of overseas business yeah. for the Shimazu group. Yeah, yeah. But you also have your own business called Gotoku. Yes, that's right, yeah. I work for a knife company, mm-hmm. and we make Asantoku. Right, okay. Which is yeah, yeah. three virtues. Yes, yeah, yeah. Is your Gotoku five virtues? Is that what that means? That's, yeah, basically what it is. So it's like um, uh, a word that actually means, uh, it's like a, a burner, a stand that you put a kettle on. What Gotoku actually is in Japanese. Oh, okay. So it's a three-legged stand that you put your kettle thing on. Right? All right. But it also sounds like the word for gotoku itsuno, toku. Yeah. So like, you know, the five virtues or whatever. Right. So it's got those two meanings. And is, basically, the, is the kanji for that five and toku? Yes. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so it's like santoku, which is the knife. Yeah, yeah. Three virtues. And it's just two more virtues, yeah. Yeah. basically. And it, and it means like a stand. Ah, it's okay. really weird how it's those kanji as well. But I mean, really, the reason why I used it is because my kamon that my wife uses. Yep. The family crest. Uh, cr- family crest, yes. Is uh, gotoku gashiwa. So it's like the gotoku, the, the stand thing. Yeah. And on top of that, it's like kashiwa, uh, oak that's leaves. Crest, yeah. So I took it from that. By the way, most yeah. people that listen to this podcast mm-hmm. aren't in Japan. They're overseas. Is so, that right? Okay. Yeah. So if we, if, we, if we speak too much Japanese, right. we're going to alienate okay, over okay. 50% of the audience. Yeah, sorry about that. <laughs> no, no. As okay. long as you explain afterwards. You say right. uh, the, the kamon, uh, the family crest. Got it. No okay. worries. So just, just heads yeah. up. That's all. So it's based on the family crest, basically. Okay. You know. So getting back to my original question. So you kind of have two jobs right now, right? Yeah. So my main work is with uh, Shimazu Limited. So Shimazu is a company that was founded by the Shimazu family, who were the former feudal lords of Satsuma, the, the area of Satsuma, which is like what Kagoshima is now, basically. Yeah. So their feudal domain was. So Tokyo used to be Edo. Yeah. Uh, Osaka used to be Naniwa, yep. and Kagoshima used to be Satsuma. Satsuma, yeah. All right. But the Satsuma domain actually covered Kagoshima, most of Miyazaki, and mm. Okinawa as well. Oh, really? So it was huge, massive area. Um, and the Shimazu family, you know, controlled that for about 700 years. So they're the only family to have gone all the way through the Warring States period, all the way through the Edo period up until the Meiji Restoration with the same area, right? Um, And then in the 1920s, they started a company, uh, Shimazu Limited. And it's like, we have interest in forestry and construction, crushed stone, golf, uh, glassware. Kiriko? Kiriko, Satsuma Kiriko. Yeah, Yeah. I love Kiriko. Yeah, nice glass, isn't it? And it's interesting because I've done a little bit of research on Kiriko, Mm -hmm. and it started, I mean, Edo Kiriko, which was Tokyo Kiriko, was the first Kiriko. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it was actually influenced by the Portuguese who brought British or English cut glass to Japan. And then the Japanese, I would venture to say, improved it. Yeah, yeah. And then I think Satsuma Kiriko was maybe the next major. Yeah. I could be wrong about that. No, that's right, yeah. My research. so but it's interesting it went from Tokyo all the way to Kagoshima. Yeah, the Shimazu family used to bring craftsmen from Edo, from Tokyo, down ah, to their region. That makes sense. To, to bring in those skills. So most of the feudal lords in that region were actually born in Tokyo and raised in Tokyo or Edo. Yeah. And then moved down to the regions to run them. So they brought, you know, Edo Kiriko techniques down to Satsuma 
and started this Satamakiriko glass. But the color comes from Satamakiriko. What is the color? So the colored glass on the outside, so it can be red, blue, green, yellow, okay, black even. Yeah, yeah, um, I've seen some black. Yeah, the black's awesome. cool, right? Very yeah. cool. Yeah, yeah. It's very masculine. It is, it is, yeah, yeah. So most of the Kiriko, it's very ornate. It's yeah. a little bit feminine. Yeah, true, yeah, yeah. But the black stuff black's kinda, is like really cool. Glass, yeah. Right? <laughs> yeah. A dude's glass. Yeah. yeah. And it's heavy as well. It's got the weight, which is cool, right? Yeah. Psychologically, apparently, if you drink wine from a heavy bottle, it's supposed to taste better. I heard this, I can't remember where I read it, but apparently that's psychologically true for some reason. So if you drink whiskey or shochu or whatever out of a heavy glass, yeah. it should improve the flavor. <laughs> okay. Yeah. You know, Baccarat makes yeah. incredible glasses, yeah. but they're a little bit Kiriko-ish. Yeah, true. Yeah, yeah. It's very similar. It's crystal glass, you know, yeah. but I think they have much more of a, a mass-produced type. So they produce of course, a, an yes. awful lot of the glassware, yeah. right? So ours is all handmade, which means it's, you know, a very lengthy process. That so. means that if you buy a set of four glasses, there will be minute differences in all yeah, four, right? That's right, yeah, yeah. So people can choose the glass depending on the, they call it bokashi. Yeah. So it's the, the gradation between the colored yeah. glass and the clear glass. So it's slightly different on each one. Nice. So you can look bokashi. at it and choose. Yeah. yeah. Not a defect. Right. It's, it's, a, it's a unique character of yeah. this product. Right, yeah. Same yeah, with yeah. yours. Yeah, no, same, it's the same thing, definitely. Yeah. It's interesting that they yeah. use that word bokashi also for kiriko glass. Yeah, no, it's it's very traditional kind of Japanese thing. You see it on kimono quite a lot, where the colors all fade into each other. Yep. You know, it's a, a traditional kind of uh, aspect of Japanese art. So, so you really know your history. How did you learn all the history, the traditions, the rituals, the storytelling of the Shimazu family in Sengan End? I mean. There's a lot to learn there. So Sengain's kind of hard, actually, because it covers r two really distinct periods of Japanese history. So one is the Edo period, 1600s. So all the feudal lords had stopped fighting each other, right. and they had a lot more time and money to do cultural pursuits and things like that. So they all started making these kaiyushikiten, these like gardens, strolling gardens. So like kennokuen. Strolling gardens to yeah. reflect. Yeah. To walk around and yeah. enjoy. So it's not like Kyoto where you sit in front of a, like a temple garden and just chill yeah. and feel all zen. Yeah. It's more like you walk around and find things that are interesting. In the world of gardens, these kaiyushikite and these strolling gardens are more like the kind of theme park of a Japanese garden. So they had like little bridges and koi ponds. Before yeah. the roller coasters. Yeah, that's it, yeah. And they would bring their friends down, the other feudal lords, and they would walk around and say, check out my garden. And this was the yeah. 1600s. 1600s, yeah. So Sengai was built in uh, 1658. So kind of, it's one of the first of those kind of type gardens. And then all of a sudden, um, the Opium War happened in China, and they became really concerned they would get colonized by these Western nations coming into Asia. So the Lord decided, I'm going to use the left-hand side of my garden and build like a factory complex to melt down iron and make lots of cannon to defend ourselves. So the second part of saying iron is the late 19th century industrialization project. So explaining these two worlds... This is before Meiji Restoration. Before the Meiji Restoration. Yeah, okay. So the Shimazu were some of the first people to bring factories into Japan to start building ships, to making glass, that's where Satama Kiriko comes from. Yep. And all these kind of other modernization projects, cotton spinning, you know, things like that. These two aspects are quite hard to explain because people think traditional Japanese garden, like it's all, you know, rock gardens and zen and all this kind of right. stuff. 
and then they walk in and there's the remains of a furnace right in front of them and like, it's like what's this yeah <laughs> history is basically easy to learn it's yeah, just yeah. a it's just a time issue you it's, just got to study it but the rituals yeah there's a lot of traditional rituals that are specific to Kagoshima or to Kyushu, yeah, yeah. probably even to the Shimazu family. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Any faux pas in the early days? Uh, oh, loads, yeah. yeah. I mean, like, um, I mean, just even like the bit, the world in a, a business, you know, the kind of like mace kokan and where you should sit when you go into a meeting room Exchanging and all that kind of thing. business cards. Yeah, I mean, it's like there's all, all kinds of places where you could mess up, but obviously you're generally let off because you're foreign. They don't expect you to know. Right. Obviously, when you've been living there for a certain amount of time, there's some expectation on you. Sure. Um, I mean, I, I was showing this guy around from the Spanish embassy the other day, and he said to me, um, Alex, you're really interesting because you're still English, even though you've lived here for 15 years. You're still English. And I was like, what yeah. do you mean? And he said, like, well, some of the people I work with, they're always doing, like, ojigi, like, bowing. Right. When people come into a room, even though they're Western people right. in Japan. And I just stuck my hand out and said, hey, how's it going? Like, shook hands. and Yeah. That's a note to this. So he said, well, that's really good. You know, you've kept your identity. Yeah. And I think that foreigners that live long term mm-hmm. in Japan, we kind of fall into two camps. Yeah. We either kind of go the way, the Japanese way, mm-hmm. where we kind of bow and right. we learn all the all the rituals and all the customs and we almost try to become Japanese. Right, yeah, yeah. Which freaks Japanese out. They yeah. hate that, actually, yeah. right? But you can't ever become Japanese. No, you it's cannot. Not, yeah, There's the other camp that try to even be more they don't want to lose any of their identity I guess, identity right? yeah. yeah and yeah. so they kind of become more right yeah 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 than they normally would be almost a caricature of it right you do need to play the part sometimes i mean i work for a, a company that was founded in 1922 it's almost 100 years old and um until the present ceo came in who's he's like 47 years old very very forward thinking used to be a banker in tokyo and he's moved back to Kagoshima to do the family business, basically. He's part of the... His lineage is the Shimazu he's family? The 33rd generation head of the family. Okay. So I work with him. And he's very him. international. Yeah, he's very international as well. Very open-minded about using technology. You know, really, really forward-thinking. Hiring foreigners. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I'm very lucky to work for someone like that. But before he came in, it was a very, very traditional Japanese company. Right. And it still is in many ways. So things like taking part in meetings, like I'd go in at first and I'd be like, here's all my ideas, because I used to run my own business, so I expect you can say whatever you want. And then I learned very quickly that you can't, you know, it's like... What do you mean by that? Well, you've got to shut up and just let the meeting go on its way, because otherwise all the Japanese people just become silent and you're there giving your opinion. Because I'm the only foreign person that works there. Okay. There are actually three, sorry, uh, there's me, there's a, a Taiwanese lady, a lady from China as well. But they don't tend to be involved in the business meetings so often. But weren't you hired to voice your opinion, to have an international yeah. effect to... Within certain parameters is the thing. So you can't just go in and barge around like a bull in a china shop and kind no, of no, but... disrupt everything. So you've but, got... but voicing your opinion in a meeting is not a bull in a china shop, is it? Uh, I was probably a bit too vocal about what I thought should happen. So I didn't temper it enough. Uh, and they probably didn't expect me to go that far, but so I did. So what did they? What was the consequences of that? Did somebody take you aside and say, "Hey, Alex, uh, take a chill pill"? Uh, basically, yeah. And it's like more like shut up during the meetings, you know. Um, but but shut actually, up means don't talk. Yeah, it, don't talk until it's your turn to talk. 
Okay. Well, so this is like what Rochelle Cop was saying the other day, yeah, right? Taking turns. You've got to take turns, but you have to use it to your advantage. So I can't expect all these Japanese people to change their way of doing business just because I've turned up. What I learned then is that being silent and then speaking at the right time has a lot more weight than just going in and giving your opinion, which was a great lesson to learn. So it was a strict education. That's good. But it actually benefited me an awful lot. Do you have an example of that? So, I mean, like, do you know, well, nemawashi is like a common word in Japanese business. It would be translated as consensus building. Yeah, consensus building, right? Yes. And it's unfortunate, but you do have to do that in, you know, Japanese businesses to get things to happen. And the way of doing it is actually going around every department and just mentioning it to people and then slowly building up uh, a level of support. And then you put out your ringisho or your document to, you know, gain official permission to start doing something. And that gets stamped around, and then you've got your project. But if you just go in and go, I want to do this, who's with it? You know, nothing will happen. It's very important to learn, you know, those things if you want to work in a traditional business. Your position seems a bit difficult because mm. your job is specific for one destination, sure. which is Sengayan. Yeah, yeah. This is not like Stonehenge. Sure, yeah, you yeah. Know, people aren't going all the way out there just to see the rocks. True, true. No disrespect. Yeah, yeah. My assumption is that not too many overseas visitors are going to plan their trip to Japan around Sengan-en. Right, okay. So don't you have to kind of bundle Sengan-en with other activities mm -hmm. and destinations, touristic things to do mm -hmm. in Kagoshima. Absolutely. So, I mean, we're um, in the attraction category, if you will. So, I mean, that falls in line, really, I mean, in, from a business perspective, with things like theme parks and things like that. It's the same genre, essentially. So we have an entrance fee to get in. We have restaurants. We have shops. Historic sites tend to be that kind of thing generally yeah and what we would be is uh, a major attraction within the destination but whether we're a major attraction within japan is a, is a different story and that depends on the branding that we do going forwards and how we tell the story of sengai and the shimazu family um internationally but uh, as you say we need to work with content around kagoshima as well to build a unified kind of brand so what i do with gotoku the consulting company is work with different hotels in the region so I actually work with five different properties. Tenku, which is up in Kirishima. How cool is that? That is very cool. For yeah. anybody listening to this podcast, Google Tenku and get ready to be impressed. It's nuts, yeah. I mean, the concept is like just insane. Uh, the guy who runs it, uh, Mr. Tajima, he's a uh, total visionary for the tourism industry generally. He's not, he, he doesn't even think he's in the tourism industry. What does he think he's doing? So it's like, he's got two properties. One's called Gajoen. So Gajouen is like a, a... There's a Gajouen here in Tokyo. Yeah, same kanji, but different. Totally yeah, different. Obviously, okay. Yeah. yeah. His Gajouen is um, basically a, a snapshot of the kind of rural life he remembers growing up with. So he's like uh, late 70s now, I think. Is it a hotel? It's a uh, ryokan, but it's all it's kind a of... Japanese inn. Yeah, Japanese inn, yeah. So it's all thatched roofs, you know, wooden buildings, stone tiles on the floor going in. They're Hinoki bath? No, no, Hinoki, they're all stone. Oh, carved from stone. Cool. Chickens walking around the property. Eggs for breakfast. Yeah, eggs for breakfast, yeah. Or, or yakitori for dinner. Yakitori, yeah. Yeah, we can do that as well. <laughs> so it's that, like a almost a time capsule of that kind of life yeah. that he saw disappearing. So he wanted to put that culture into a little a bubble and keep hold of it. Yeah. So if that place disappears, the whole lifestyle there is gonna go, you know, it's it's gone. Like modern okay. Japan's taken it away. Uh, and then Tenku is an extension of that concept. So if 
Gajo and his culture. Yeah. Tenku is like civilization. But it's also luxurious. It's very it? luxurious, yeah. Yeah. So they've elevated the culture in that region up to something else. So the local people there don't live a lifestyle like that. Right. But it's born out of the lifestyle that they live. So a lot of the hotels now are going for this wellness type vibe and stuff like right. that. Right. So wellness is something that's manufactured. It's like a spa or like a massage experience or something like that. And that's not what they're aiming for at all. They're aiming for the original kind of wellness that was there in the agrarian societies you know, that existed in the countryside. Yeah. And bringing that up to a level where international travelers can enjoy it as well. I, yeah. I saw the website. It's, yeah. it's amazing. It's six, seven uh, so it's bungalows? Five, yeah, villas five. on top of a mountain. Villas. Totally yeah. private. You know, um, when you check in, you'll never see another guest when yeah. you check in. It's all completely. And what is the purpose? Off, just you know? to to isolate yourself and just relax and get away from it all? Yeah, it is. I mean, so so people right on the you know the front line of the work order who need yeah. to step back from the world and okay. step back from their responsibilities. You know, of business, of politics, things like that. But that's a pretty unique clientele that you're aiming for. But yeah, but it, it does meet that price point as well it's quite an expensive place to visit what's the average price per so per night the largest one is five hundred thousand. yeah a night yeah five thousand dollars a night yeah roughly yeah so that's for two people that includes dinner i hope uh, and that includes dinner yeah yeah <laughs> it drinks too yeah drink uh no drinks are separate yeah oh so, um do they have a helicopter landing pad yeah they do yeah yeah i was kind of saying that as a bit of a joke no no they do yeah yeah okay i guess yeah, so if you want to fr- fly right. by private jet and then get a helicopter up there, it's not a problem. Yeah. People do that quite regularly. <laughs> Cheers, man. Cheers. And Japan's got a terrible habit of underselling its cultural properties, if you will. Absolutely. Um, so, I mean, Japan's like fukakachi, like the adding of value, added value, is something that Japanese people were historically very good at. But now it's. What, what do you mean by that? So, right, I was once at uh, Ryoanji in Kyoto, you yes. know, the famous stone garden, the, the famous rock garden. Stone. But it's, it's a lovely garden, it really is. But it's um, I was sat there with, looking at it, and next to me there was this like teenage English kid with his dad. And he was just sat there staring like that, and he goes, um, Dad, you know, the Japanese people are really good at making boring shit seem interesting. <laughs> 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 and uh, at the same time, it was a. Philistinic comment it was a being a Philistine but it was very astute as well because yeah. actually it is about added value it's about what you imagine to be on that canvas but that added value taking something making something beautiful with it and then putting on top of it an explanation is that a rock or is it a tiger or is it a rock or a turtle or something like that it's all about yeah. imagination and you add the value yourself in many cases but if you don't have the cultural background to be able to do that you know you're not able to fully understand what the thing is that you're looking at right you know, the, the value of Japanese culture has to be seen through that kind of lens. You've got to educate people as to what it is. But at the same time, they're not coming to Japan to learn. They're coming on holiday and they want to enjoy themselves. Right. That's so, a good point. Because yeah. Sengayan is kind of like your crown jewel. Right. Yeah. Right. And there's a lot of history there. But, you know, you have the gardens, you have shopping. You were designated in 2015 as a national heritage oh, site. World, World heritage. World yeah. heritage site. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. National Geographic Traveler yeah. said that your cafe, your matcha cafe, yeah, yeah. was one of the best places in the world to yeah. drink green tea. That's correct, yeah. And even yeah. CNN Travel said 
that it's one of the best tea houses. Yes, that's right, yeah. So yeah. You, that's saying a lot. I mean, they were really nice, yeah, yeah, to come up with that kind of copy for us. I mean, I brought the journalists around and showed them, you know, the property. Obviously, with foreign journalists, it's Japan. Journalism is quite interesting because they'll send you things like, they call it kijikose in Japanese. It means like checking the article. So they'll send you a draft of it and you can correct it, basically, and send it back to them and they'll print it as you've corrected it. But foreign journalists never do that. No. Because it's not journalism then. Exactly. <laughs> so, um, safety kind of culture, right? So you know what to expect. Yeah. Japan's like all about expectation. So that's why they're like president in business, so you can see that something's happened before, and you can kind of guess what the result's going to be. Yeah. So if you can work with that expectation, you can get quite a lot of good results. So what is yeah. the fukukachi, or the added value, of Sengang-en? Well, you see, the problem is, um, a lot of the guides and things like that, that come around with the, the guests and things like that, they want to tell the, the people everything they've learned. So they've done all this really hard studying about history, They've got all this information in, in their heads or whatever. Uh, they know this fantastic story about the Shimazu family in the area, and they want to tell all of it to the client, right? And what you've got to do is look at the other person and think, is this person interested right. in what I'm saying? Exactly. And if they're not, you just cut it off and do right. something else. That's where you find which, like Fukakachi, which added value is important, because it's different for everybody. Well, if you say that this is a World Heritage Site, mm -hmm. that's all you have to say. Yeah. And people will go, great, I'm taking photos, and I'm just going to say, I went to this place in Kagoshima, it's a World Heritage Site, these yeah. are the photos, I went and had green tea yeah. at one of the best green tea places yeah. ranked in the world. Yeah. Kagoshima is actually the second largest producer of green tea in Japan. After Uji? Shizuoka. Shizuoka. So, I mean, getting those uh, authentic ingredients, you know, in, in the place where they're made... And being able to enjoy them, you know, in a way that's, you know, locally prepared as well. It's hugely appealing to uh, tourists and travelers as well. So that's something we want to do in Kagoshima as well, you know. I've totally forgotten what question I was asked before. <laughs> you know, I'm going to totally shift gears here. Mm. Alex, you recently won an award at the World Travel Market in London. This sure. is the most prestigious travel awards trade show sure. in the world. It's in London. And you won yeah. an award. Yeah, yeah. So Congratulations. We Tell me you. about that. Thank you, man. I mean, we went over, um, WTM's like a huge travel fair that's held in London every year. And I think 183 countries participate in it. And uh, they have a, an award ceremony called the International Travel and Tourism Awards. Sengai was nominated for the Best Attraction category. We got uh, awarded an International Travel and Tourism Award for Best Attraction. So we got silver in that category. Beating Warner Brothers, I might add, which is very, very pleasing for me because <laughs> I'm not a Harry Potter fan, to be fair. But I was glad that we beat them. And then um, I went over there with no real hopes, to be fair. I mean, like Warner Brothers were one of the category entries. A place that Disney had backed in France were another one. And then there were, you know, several other amazing destinations as well. So I'm sat there at this awards ceremony, kind of like thinking, you know, we're not really going to get anywhere with this. And they were like, third place, Warner Brothers. So I was like, oh, shit. You know, we're not, I'm sorry. Oh, no. <laughs> we're, ne yeah. we're never going to get this. Um, and then it, they were like second place saying I and the woman next to me tapped me on the shoulder I went I think that's you so I was like oh no right I go up on the stage and get the, the award and everything like that and head back that's so, yeah. fantastic man did you like apply to get nominated or they just pick it out of the air I mean how, how do you even get on their radar so what happened is uh, WTM is run by a company called Reed who do a lot of exhibitions around the world they also do something called the uh, ILTM, which is the International Luxury Travel Market. 
which is held in Cannes uh, every year. It's a lovely event to go to. Incredibly stressful. I would imagine. But quite glamorous at the same time. They got to know us through that. So I took um, a group of hotels and Sangayan over to the ILTM in Cannes and then Singapore as well to do promotion there, mainly targeting the higher end kind of luxury market. So that kind of got us on their radar. And then we went over to the WTM. We'd completed the renovation of Sangayan that year. So we were kind of put forward for this award. Yeah. Was- so has business taken off? since then yeah i mean it's a trade event and a trade award so within the travel industry you know that's gained a lot of recognition for us domestically it's been a huge benefit all the japanese big travel companies are very interested in that Uh, overseas it takes a lot longer obviously it's like a year lag between any benefit from that yeah so the western travelers tend to be six months to a year in advance booking things but yeah we were yeah very very happy to win it Good to be recognized as well. It's a feather in your cap. Yeah. For sure. Yeah, yeah, sure. I mean, this is because of you. Without you, that wouldn't have happened, well, right? no, no. It's like a team effort. There's loads of people involved. Of it's course. just like, you know, I'm just, you know, a part of that. You spearheaded it. Well, I was involved with it. That's, you know, I'm not, you know, I'm not saying I'm changing the world or anything like that, but I'm, I enjoy what I do, you know, yeah. and it's, it's a fun challenge. So, yeah. Congratulations. Thank you. All right. Um, you also do some work for Kagoshima City at the moment. Kagoshima City, yes. Yeah. What do they ask you to help them out with? So for Kagoshima City, I'm like a regional beautification advisor. So I do lectures about how to beautify the city. You know, things like signage, uh, advertising boards and things like that. Yeah. I like that signage thing. Because yeah. that's one of the things that I think Japan really needs a lot of help with. Yeah. And I think this goes back to the risk adverseness of this mm-hmm. culture. Yeah, yeah. Is yeah. that they they believe that they have to put a warning sign mm-hmm. everywhere. Yeah. A lot of these warning signs take away from the beauty of whatever they're yeah. they want you to see or experience. Yeah, yeah. So, so a, what? Well, how do you advise them on that? So I mean, specifically with signage. Well, signage is an interesting issue because there are some places where lots of signs and lots of garish signs actually look better. So if you go to like a Showa period, like one of these small alleyways with lots of little izakaya and things like that. Oh, that's fantastic. You know, it looks cool, right? Now that looks dope, right? That's fantastic. Yeah. So those areas, you don't want to do this kind of thing to. So they're fine. And even the garish kind of signage looks all right in that area in that setting yeah but that's an entertainment area sure people aren't going there to absorb beauty and nature Mm -hmm. and have some type of cultural thing they want to just find a place to have a great beer or in your case uh shochu yeah so a lot of the problem is when you go to like um somewhere like a historic site or shrines and temples actually they're much worse than people uh, might imagine there's a lot of kind of warning signage do not enter don't step on the grass no littering things like that and you know, a lot no of pets. Yeah, unnecessary, right? Yeah. What will happen is one day, one person fell over and injured themselves or something like that. Yeah. And then a sign is put in place then forever to prevent that, which is kind of like overkill, right? Because the signage doesn't necessarily prevent people from injuring themselves or whatever. Perhaps <laughs> the architecture needs uh, a work on or the, the steps need to be rebuilt or something like that. So... The easiest solution is to stick up a sign. That's what I always say, is that Japan always defaults to the minority. It's true. It's very true. Yeah. That's a good example. 
Or even like a pet. Somebody brought a pet one day and they said, can I come in with a pet? And they went, no, you can't. And then they put up a sign saying no pets. It's that kind of mentality. Yeah. And it's weird because Japan's not a litigious country. So it's not like they're going to be suing you or anything like that. So it's this uh, expectation society. That's what it is. So in this case, what do you say to them? Take down the signs? So the first thing is the design of the sign. You know, is the sign well designed so that it doesn't interfere with the environment around it but it also provides the right amount of information so things like removing garish colors you know using glass instead of plastic or different materials would be something you can consider then obviously you you can broach them whether the sign is actually necessary or not Uh, that's a harder battle to win just the awareness that you know the environment itself needs to be protected in some kind of way um, and that this way of doing things might not be the best. I mean, a lot of the time you'll feel sign like laminated signs that have just been stuck up with sellotape on walls and things like that. And it's kind of lazy, right? I yeah. mean, they're not really protecting the um, environment so much. And it's much worse in the regions than it is in Tokyo because they're not used to this kind of rarefied atmosphere of design and things like that. So it tends to be a bit kind of DIY, you know, and a bit rough and ready around the edges when it doesn't need to be. You know, it could be a lot better. I want to go back to tourism a little bit. We're the Japan JNTO. Sure, yeah. The Japan National Tourism Organization. Organization. Yeah. Right. Let's just say you. Yeah. You are the head right. of the JNTO. Right. Terrible thought. <laughs> go ahead. <laughs> what would you do as the head of the Japan National Tourism Organization to enhance the Japan experience for foreigners mm-hmm. at the same time enhance the Japanese experience of dealing with foreigners and this at is the same time three things okay so one would be the JNTO does a lot of good work to be fair um, marketing Japan um, to the rest of the world what I would do is shift it from a marketing organization to an organization that manages tourism assets so you can use a lot of money to tot up a poster or make a nice you know press tour or whatever and bring a lot of people in but what they actually need to do is use money to clean up beaches use money to you know restore um, historic sites to their kind of you know former glory you know invest in local businesses that need support to deal with tourism as well so turn it from um, destination promotion to management a little more so use the funds that they have to grow these areas product and that will naturally hopefully what would be the result of that if they did that so that would mean uh, visitor satisfaction would increase obviously you've got to market it at the same time yeah but not spend all your money on marketing people visit then they're more satisfied with the improved product uh, and then they will advertise that on their own social media channels and spread it to their network and that will gradually you know spread itself out yeah through word of mouth organic organically hopefully bringing more visitors in Um, The second thing probably would be to focus less on the major areas of Tokyo and Kyoto. So I believe France doesn't really use any money on Paris, as far as I'm aware, for tourism promotion, because everybody goes there anyway. Right. So why bother? You know, everybody comes to Tokyo, why advertise it? So it would be better to spread that budget around a little bit more and focus on one specific region rather than this fairness attitude of let's distribute the funds across the whole country. Because that simply doesn't work. 50% of all visitors to Japan come to Tokyo anyway. Yeah, yeah. However, knowing what you know and what I know, if the government Mm. were to say, okay, we're going to focus on Kagoshima, Mm. well, Niigata, 
Iwate, Hokkaido, Shikoku, Wakayama, they're all going to say, yo, what about us? Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I do understand that, but you can't... I mean, you don't have to focus on one region specifically, but several regions around the country to balance and then switch each yeah. year to build uh, okay. a, a base, right? That's, I guess that's fair, yeah. I mean, it's very, very weird in Japan that they assume that every single prefecture can be a tourist destination. Not everywhere in the UK is a tourist destination, or the US, you know, or any other country. I had on my podcast Ruth Jarman. Mm-hmm. And what she says is that Japan is bursting with content. Every prefecture. Kagoshima by itself could be its own destination. There's enough content there, you could fill a whole week of just Kagoshima with them. Mm-hmm. But almost every prefecture in Japan could say the same thing. Well, Ruth's from Hawaii, so she's probably less cynical than I am, being from northern England. I think what it boils down to is the potential for people who understand Japan and are interested in Japan is very, very different to people who visit Japan. Easy for us as long-term residents to say all these areas are interesting. That's a good point. Um, But for somebody who's not that invested in the country, it's not true, to be fair. France has got amazing regions, right? Sure. It's got loads of amazing places, but most people go to Paris or the south of France. Right. And there's a reason behind that. It's because they've got the killer content, they've got the beautiful beaches, they've got the amazing, you know, yeah, booze as Wine. well in the right regions. Yeah. And also the temperature as well. If you go to the south of France in winter, it's amazing. It's yeah. like a brilliant place to be. Paris as well, you know, it's a cultural hub. It's the same with the UK. London's a huge tourist center. Edinburgh the same Sheffield is not but I'm not saying that Sheffield should be the next tourist destination how about Birmingham never (laughs) 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 shit I've got nothing against Birmingham but it's not really high on the tourist it's kind of like the Kawasaki of England right? yeah that's right yeah yeah that's a good I've never heard it called that before they should do a sister city agreement yeah, but I, I think it's unrealistic to think that everywhere is going to succeed at tourism. Right. Um, and knowing that creates rivalry. Rivalry creates competition. Competition creates good product. And Japan's, at the moment, going on this kind of equal footing type approach, which is bullshit. Yeah. It's not good for business. Exactly. Yes. You know, and that yeah, obviously yeah. is a lot more appealing as well. Um, and it's got more mystery behind it, right? Japan's been selling itself on mystery since the 1800s. What do you mean by that? So um, this kind of mysterious Japan, spiritual Japan, this kind of whole image that Japan has. I'm still not getting you. Like Zen and, you know, tea ceremony and... Geisha. The martial arts and the mystery of what a geisha, you know, what do they do? Who knows? Where's the line? (laughs) You know, this kind of... Samurai. Yeah. Japan's been very wise in selling itself like that. As, as a country, and purposely so. Since cool Japan, period. was that a successful uh, campaign? No, not really, because you don't say you're cool. I do, I say I'm cool, but I am, so no, right. no <laughs> Cut that out, please. It, it's not good generally to say that your own stuff is cool, right? right. Britain did it, so we did like uh, Cool Britannia around the kind of uh, Olympics kind of thing. Remember that? Yeah, no, James Bond, like flying the Queen in. By yeah, helicopter I remember that. Yeah, shooting into the thing. I yeah. think that's pretty cool. That was cool. Like, sure, know. that was cool. So I think cool Japan's a bit of a, a misnomer. You know, the reason why I'm invested in Kagoshima is because I'm there, but because it also has a lot of good shit. A lot of good shit. Like a lot. Alex, thank you so much for coming. My pleasure. It's you, been fun. I learned a lot, 
and now I'm ready to go to Kagoshima like next week, yeah, if possible. Yeah, come down. Anytime is fine. Thank so thank you very much for being on Business and Beers. I really appreciate it. My Thanks. pleasure, man. Thanks for your time, man. Cheers. Cheers. Dude, yeah. cheers. And that was Alex Bradshaw, a true ambassador for Kagoshima. He really explains the history and traditions of the region and hopefully makes you want to visit Kagoshima. Because, as he passionately points out, there's a lot of really cool stuff there. I have included all the links to all the things he mentioned in the show notes. Thanks for listening. If you like what you heard, please leave a rating and a nice comment on iTunes. Thanks, everybody. 